0: Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he's the guy whose decks probably meet a companion
1: condition just by accident. It's Matt Morgan. So Joey signed a lease to move in with the girlfriend, asked her if we could if I could name the Wi-Fi. She was not impressed when I suggested the Sun Home, Fortress of the Legion. I'm impressed by that. That makes me happy, Matt. I appreciate it. It was not. It didn't fly, though. It, it definitely is whatever our apartment number is. Yeah, exactly. a, a
0: little bit, a little bit too nerdy, I suppose. So, but at the same time, my Wi-Fi is named after Harry Potter stuff, so That's eh, I appreciate it. Anyway, up next is the guy who would rather build a companion as a commander, so that that commander can have another companion. That's Dana Roach. Um,
2: you know, talking about companions, that first attempt at injecting commander into other formats is off to a bit of a rocky start. Um, but my fingers are crossed that when core 2021 comes out and they add that new rule where you can actually attack the people and the pair stay next to you uh, that <laughs> work out much much better in other formats so i think they'll second time
1: will be the charm good Yes, gracious <laughs> is that yeah, just is, look- it the, is it the same rule that goes for all the uh, the azorius players out there playing grand arbiter yes yeah right. oh, okay okay well that's easy good. to clean up then
0: Goodness gracious, you guys. We have to put Commander into other formats, and we have to put Silverboard into other formats so you can target stuff from other people's games. Your, your imagination scares me a little bit sometimes, Dana, not going to lie. Well, um, thank you. <laughs> 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 anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling deck lists, uh, data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And what we like to do here on the podcast is give all that data a little more context. Guys, what are we talking about this week? We're going to talk about the actual data we have about the most popular companions. That we are. We discussed companions a bit more casually on a previous episode that we were calling the EDH Rec Room, just a pretty casual sort of uh, abstract discussion about companions. But now we have some actual data about it. So that's what we're going to be tackling on this episode. Before we get to it, we have a huge uh, shout out, a huge thank you to the Command Zone, Josh Lequai and the whole folks over there at the Command Zone podcast. They handle all the post-production work on our podcast. So big thanks to them. And thank you also to our sponsors, Card Kingdom and TCG player who provide the up-to-date price information for the card images on EDHREC. If you want to get any of the cards that we talk about on this episode, you can just click the price links on EDHREC and it will take you right to them. We can't recommend them enough. And also, if you do end up using Card Kingdom, you can go to cardkingdom.com EDHREC and that will help show your support for the show. Awesome stuff there. All right, let's get into this episode because now we've actually got some data about the companions and this is uh, really cool for us. If you want to find this data, follow along. You can find it at... EDHrec.com slash companions to see the eight legal companions. If you click on one of those, it will show you the most common commanders that those companions pair with and the most common cards seen in the decks that use them. So this is a really exciting development. We're really happy about that to get some data in to see what people are doing with those companions. But before we get actually into the meat of it, let's recap sort of where we were when we talked about companions on our EDH Rec Room episode when we were being a bit more casual, a bit more abstract discussion about it. Where did we kind of land on Companions on that episode, you guys?
2: Um, You know, I think the main takeaway was we were a little concerned about such a large rule change, um, and we weren't really sure about the power level. We didn't think in Commander it would be that huge of a deal, but we were pretty worried about how they would wind up working in other formats.
0: Yeah, that seems to be a a good summation of it. Um, Trepidatious, not so much for Commander, but definitely sort of almost a an apprehensive terror for how powerful they might be in other formats. And Matt, can you verify whether you think that terror was justified?
1: <laughs> I, for 60 card formats? Absolutely. I mean, as <laughs> as the person who tries to play competitive magic, um, yeah, it, it, 60 card formats aren't even recognizable anymore. You're you're seeing Delverdex playing Luris. You're seeing Obosh all over the place. You're seeing Yorion dominate standard. So for sixty card formats, yeah, it, they're they're kind of doing their thing, and it's it you're putting yourself at a disadvantage not playing them in sixty card formats. Ooh. In Commander, there's still a, an interesting deck building challenge, and I still kind of think that way they're not all great and maybe not worth the payoff. But it actually is kind of a fun challenge to put yourself up to. But overall, yeah, I, I'm not, it's still yet to be seen if some of these command companions, excuse me. Conditions are worth the payoff.
0: Indeed, and that's kind of what we want to go into here and see what people are doing with them. Uh, when we talked about them on the previous episode, we had ordered the different companions um, sort of vaguely by what we estimated their uh, popularity might end up being for them as companions. At the top, we had wagered that Giganta, the Wellspring, this is the five-color Gruul commander. uh Companion. I'm probably gonna mix that up a couple of times on this episode, <laughs> Commander and Companion. Um, this is the one that can tap to add wooberg to your mana pool, but can only uh use that on non-generic mana costs. Um, and it can be your companion if your entire deck doesn't have any duplicated mana symbols in it. So you can't have two blue mana symbols, you'd have to have like a single blue mana symbol and a white mana symbol or something like that. So that is its companion cost. We wager that that might be near the top with Kahira the Orphan Guard. This is the Selesnia cat elemental nightmare. Can't remember all the creature types on that one. Um, the one that gives your stuff vigilance if it meets those tribes which is a pretty interesting one there and at the bottom we had recommended uh that Zirda would recommended i'm just tripping up all over my words (laughs) i can't speak i do a podcast and it's quality uh we had predicted that Zirda the dawn would be near the bottom this is the boros one that reduces costs um and we kind of just want to see whether that was accurate and also which commanders these companions are showing up with so let's get into it guys what is the actual data showing us who is at the top
1: of the companion list so so far Kahira the Orphan Guard is the most popular uh coming in with 651 decks and that's a pretty significant amount of decks considering the set has barely been out so far. So it's really impressive to see that and Kahira is the Selesnia always glad to see Selesnia showing up at the top. Uh, Selesnia Companion where uh, the clauses each of each creature card in your starting deck is either a cat elemental nightmare dinosaur or a beast yeah i mean and and it
2: was a super easy card to add to particularly that arabo deck where it's in Mm -hmm. almost 400 arabo decks already um but i mean even if you weren't running uh, a deck that was entirely cats and arabo especially encourages you to run cats because Arabo interacts only with cats um, but even if you weren't, if you were running that Surkirchard Elder or Lenwar something just for ramp, it was pretty easy in that case to replace one of those with a mana rock or replace it with, um, you know, a ramping growth or something um, and, and get yourself in the position where you could just run that eighth cat at the start of the game in your hand, essentially. So super easy um addition to that deck and a lot of people have clearly made it yeah Yeah. you you put it as the head of your your son's arabo deck right i put it in the deck or i the commander i just added it as a companion i was already running only cats in the deck so it required no changes at all there so it's just a free card for me for changing nothing at all
0: yeah definitely a testament to how easy it is to make that one but there are some other commanders that we're seeing here for kahira as a uh, companion here um some that i don't think I necessarily expected one of them showing up with 43 decks uh, with Kahira as a companion is Gishath's son's avatar, so dinosaur tribal, um, which I think I would kind of expected, but there is a bit of a sacrifice there because there are a lot of humans from Ixalan that care about dinosaurs that Gishath might miss out on. But then the other one that I was a little surprised to see is Horde of Notions, the five color elemental tribal deck. That one's showing up with 116 uh, Kahira companion uh, going on there. Like That's actually a pretty interesting development that I don't think any of us had predicted, so that's kind of cool to see.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, if if you are running a tribal deck that has one of the tribes mentioned on Kahira, um, it's probably pretty easy to slot it in. I think unlike other formats where having that free card is just backbreaking, it's maybe not worth making wholesale changes to your deck, but if you can get away with swapping out a couple cards... It's a fun change to make. It's something new to try differently in. It's mostly upside without much downside.
0: Yeah, and that, I think, is especially the stuff that we've discovered. On our stream, we've been playing some paper EDH just remotely, and we've noticed that like trying to actually bend to a companion does require a pretty significant sacrifice, but not for these top ones. And I think yeah. just the ease of slotting that, them in is really what pushes the, these companions to the top of the list. Um, and
1: that definitely goes for our next one. Hey, Matt, what's at the number two position for companions? The number two is Jigantha the Well So that's the mana elk. It's four and a hybrid gruel. So a red and a green for five, five that the companion clause has no card in your starting deck has any more than one of the same mana symbol in its mana cost. And then you can tap it to add those five Wuburg mana. Uh, It's kind of interesting, actually, seeing some of the top decks. Obviously, they're all five color, but stuff like the first sliver and sliver overlord. It's interesting because you wouldn't think they would really need the help. I suppose
0: that's true. Yeah. 159 decks for Gigantha as the companion. And we've got like up in the nearly the 30s or so uh, for like the first sliver and sliver overlord. Definitely uh, interesting stuff to see there. And I, I totally agree. I didn't think that slivers needed any more assistance. They don't need the assistance,
2: but it was one of those things. I think we actually pointed that out on our rec room show mm-hmm. that there's just very few slivers with multiple um, of the same pip and the casting costs. So again, that's a change that you a lot of times you know a couple cards and it's just a free extra 101st card for changing very little in those two decks
0: right the sacrifice is much more on like the supplementary enchantments that you might use like a lurking predators or a kindred discovery something like that might be more the sacrifice that you'd be making but having another eighth card in your starting hand that you'll always be able to play something on turn five that helps you cast one of those slivers even if it isn't a sliver itself that's pretty pretty cool yeah. um and up behind those two slivers it isn't just those there's also one more that's showing up about 16 decks uh with giganta as a companion and that's captain Sisei, which came from the modern horizons expansion uh that can go and find you legendary stuff so there's another thing that actually also really helps out getting the captain Sisei engine started basically um so those are the three that we're seeing for giganta first sliver sliver overlord and captain Sisei are showing up um i gotta admit though i'm surprised that giganta didn't make the number one slot i expected it to be a lot easier for the five color decks to meet this requirement um, I didn't expect that Arabo would outweigh all of the five color decks that could pretty easily make this swap, I guess.
1: I'm actually really surprised that Niv-Mizzet Reborn, the five color legendary Mm -hmm. Niv-Mizzet, isn't the most popular Forge Gantha because just the deck building challenge goes into Niv-Mizzet Reborn is making sure you have lots of different you know, guilds that you're picking up with all your different cards from Niv-Mizzet's ability, which naturally lends itself to feeding into Gigantha's ability of needing everything to be a different mana cost. So I figured those two would have been a match made in heaven, but I guess I was wrong there.
0: Yeah, interesting stuff. All right, let's move on to number three on the companion list. Dana, what's the next most popular? Number three is Karuga the Macro Sage.
2: Um, I was saying, Karuga, that's like a very tugboat sound, right? Like, Karuga. I, yeah, yeah that's what I always assume. I <laughs> mean, um, it kind of looks like a giant tugboat, the dinosaur hippo. Um, the condition here is your starting deck contains only cards with a converted mana cost three or greater and land cards. And the bonus you get is when Karuka enters the battlefield, draw a card for each other permanent you control with converted mana cost three or greater. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was pretty surprised to see this one as high as it is I think th- that that feels like a pretty big trade-off um giving up you know a lot of your removal spells to be able to just have a basically a draw spell on a body in the command zone. Um, but when you look at the top commander, Maelstrom Wanderer, which is probably not running very many of those spells, it's just running bodies that you're going to hope to cascade into, in that's, that case, it totally makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 96 decks for Karuga as a companion, and 42 of them are Maelstrom Wanderer, so definitely taking the cake on most of those. And that definitely points to, like, if you cascade from Maelstrom Wanderer into a Pongify or something, that doesn't feel necessarily as good. If you cascade into a counterspell, that's kind of like, ah, that's awkward. Um, and Karuga, that is that is a huge sacrifice if you're not playing soul ring if you're not playing cyclonic rift like those are big sacrifices but maelstrom wanderer definitely seems like the kind of deck that can shrug that off a little bit although i will admit i am surprised that rune isn't showing up as a popular one for karuga as well because that is a commander that really synergizes with the enters the battlefield ability for karuga so that's something that i would also expect to see on this page and we'll see if it starts to creep up along there with maelstrom wanderer i don't think it would ever eclipse maelstrom wanderer that seems like a good home for karuga um yeah. but it is one that i i would personally expect to see show up there because that condition it feels like Rune would actually be happy and might consider that worthwhile to make that type of sacrifice if it is able to draw that many cards from having this always available to it
1: yeah I think pre-2019 and just a lot of the cards that kind of been power crept up over the past few years you know if you people were building their decks the same now as they were in like 2015 for example when the average CMC as we saw you know uh, back in the day in one of our previous episodes was significantly higher Karuga would be much more popular but because there's so many just efficient ways to do things in Commander now compared to a few years ago, Karuga kind of gets pushed out because of that trend of the average converted mana cost in in decks is dropping just because cards are getting so much more efficient these days.
0: Yeah, that's a trend that we've definitely observed on previous episodes. When we looked over, we saw that the average CMC was dropping very subtly Um, over many years. We saw that it was was dropping like 0.05 by 0.1, stuff like that. Um, We saw that that average CMC was dropping. So, yeah, there's definitely still room for Karuga, but um, it would have made a much bigger splash if it had been several years ago. I think that's a great observation. I think the other cap
2: on Karuga's inclusion index as well is you're in colors if you're running Karuga that tend to almost always already have really good access to draw Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where like i I can totally see the thought process being well is it worth making you know a, a dozen or 15 changes to my deck just to have one more draw spell when i can you know just run a bunch of draw spells in those slots <laughs>
1: yeah um, so I, mean, I, I think K- that's Karenga, always going to be correct right. though once the once the ability goes on the on the stack though typically it's going to be fairly backbreaking though so you it, can and, and you can abuse it for sure in oh, those yeah. colors
0: yeah absolutely all right let's move on to number four now this one really surprised me to be showing up in the number four slot i expected this one near the bottom that's umori the collector this is the four minute legendary ooze it is a four five its companion cost is that each non-land card in your starting deck has to share a card type so they have to all be artifacts or all be enchantments or something like that um, or most likely is all be creatures because remember your commander does have to meet the companion requirement um, and as umori the collector enters the battlefield you choose a card type spells you cast of the chosen type cost one less to cast so this definitely seems to be an oops all creatures type of deal you could do like lord Windgrace, all planeswalkers or farika all enchantments but what we're actually seeing for umori definitely is on the creature side and we actually see this. Slivers reappear here. We've got 80 decks for Umori as a companion. 12 of them belong to the first Sliver. 7 are for Sliver Hive Lord. Um, So again, we've got the Slivers there making them just a smidgen cheaper, which really surprised me. And uh, taking a bit of a left turn from Slivers, about 6 of these decks are also for Kethys the Hidden Hand, the uh, Obzon legendary guy. So also... Can reduce the cost of your legendary stuff for kethes and for umori which is actually pretty neat synergy um but the deck building cost on this companion i expected it to be so great that most people wouldn't want to touch it but it's showing up at number four and we've got some definitely creature-centric lists that are showing up among its top companion uh commander companions see i keep mixing it up <laughs> it's top commanders uh, what do you guys make of this well uh,
2: one real anecdotal observation i have here is um, Umori's the the companion that almost every person I've heard talking about building the deck has talked about building a brand new deck with it. I've never heard anybody say, oh, I want to build a cat deck just to run Kahira. But I've heard a ton of people talk about, oh, well, it's okay if I build a brand new deck with mori, I can run all Planeswalkers or all creatures, or so if I try this, I can do this. So that seems to be the, the, the companion that people are building a deck from scratch, intentionally trying to do something experimental.
1: Yeah, I, I've seen a few decks, and this is 60 card formats, but they're they're building pioneer decks, and they're building uh, historic decks with artifacts using Umori, and you're playing a bunch of artifact creatures like Steel Overseer just to make the team Abnormally huge, so it's it's gotten some brews going. I, I have seen that too, Dana, where people are building some interesting decks, and it's it's kind of fun to see. I don't know if if there's a good Golgari plus another commander f- or another color, I should say, commander to put Omori into a a black green commander deck, but we'll see if that ever if, if that ever surfaces. Yeah, it's just kind
0: of an interesting relationship for me to see Umori, which gets rid of generic mana costs, shows up for slivers, but then so does Gigantha, which only pays for non-generic mana costs. Um, So that's just kind of a a fun thing to see. And I think generally, if I am playing slivers, Gigantha would be a bit more appealing to me. So I wonder if Umori's sliver popularity um, will continue, or if those two commanders, companions, ah, goodness, I keep doing that, if those two companions will sort of fight against each other in that realm. That'd be kind of interesting to to sort of see there. All right, before we get to the next four companions, Companions, let's take a quick break for challenge the stats. There's a lot of data here on E-Day Trick, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think the cards are seeing too much play or too little play. So we like to challenge those stats here. Dana, how about you start us off this week? What is your challenge?
2: Uh, my challenge is a old card, an enchantment, um, Anna Sanctuary or Anna Sanctuary, perhaps um, two and a green at the beginning of your upkeep. If you control a blue or a black permanent target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. If you control a blue permanent and a black permanent, that creature gets plus five, plus five until end of turn instead. Um, Ana Sanctuary is currently in 48 decks, but it just so happens we just got the um, Kazir ukima pair. Um, (laughs) Ukima alone meets both the qualifications. It's a blue permanent and a black permanent. So as long as Ukima's in play, it gets plus five, plus five from Ana Sanctuary. And it just natively has unblockable and when it leaves a battlefield it deals damage equal to its power to someone it's just a perfect card and a perfect commander and it absolutely is a card you should consider running in that deck for sure.
0: I, I love Dana's ability to find cards that no one has ever heard of for 20 years and to tell you to play them. Just like every time that Dana plays a card, I have to I would have to reach over the table and say, I'm sorry, <laughs> what is this? I don't I don't recall this card. You always find some such weird, obscure gems. I totally love it. Dana. And that's that's an additional
2: reason to run it so you can show off the guy found
0: this. I got. <laughs> yeah, this. exactly. All right. I'll move on to my challenge now. I'm going to be looking at Graven Predator Captain. He's the really cool Rakdos commander that can sacrifice your creatures, uh, draws you cards equal to their power, and then you lose life, but he turns life loss into even more of his own power. Really, really heavy hitting deck here. I've really enjoyed playing with my Graven deck. Um, and a card that I think shows up a bit too high for graven is the card lightning Skelemental. this one also came from modern horizons it is black red red for a 6-1 elemental skeleton with trample and haste and whenever it deals combat damage to a player that player discards to cards and of course you sacrifice it at the beginning of the end step so it's sort of a variation on ball lightning and i actually haven't had a lot of success with ball lightning style effects in my graven deck because generally what i need to do is have graven out and then play a creature and then attack with graven and that usually takes a different style of process like i can also like maybe i'll play a creature and then it can graven out with haste and then i'll be able to attack but just the sequencing on that is really awkward and having the flexibility there to choose when the creature will be in play if it can be before graven or after graven it just seems to really really help out a lot more as opposed to a creature that is definitely going to sacrifice itself um, the turn that i play it i'm not usually able to get both graven and lightning Elemental played in the first turn i don't know 59 percent of graven decks are playing it so far and while it is a cool looking card i think that there are other more permanent creature options that graven could sacrifice um, that would probably suit him a little bit better a thing that i personally like doing for example is using active trees and effects to take enemy creatures so i sacrifice their stuff instead of my own this is a cool creature but i'm not sure if graven actually synergizes with it very very nicely because it does sacrifice itself so that's just a suggestion that i'm going to throw out there i think that the ball lightning lightning skeletal effects are a little bit too high for him matt how about your challenge
1: so my challenge is going to be for the most popular commander from theris beyond death that is Siona, captain of pileus uh it's the selesnia enchantress commander Uh, whenever, basically the, the ability that people are kind of keying in on with my challenge is whenever an aura becomes attached to a creature you control, you create a one, a one, one white human creature soldier token. Now, night. uh, You obviously get some card advantage when Siona comes into play you get to look at the top few cards grab an aura but the card that i'm going to challenge here is mentor of the meek now we talked about it a couple weeks ago when we talked about the pre-con effect uh, for commander 20 and people are putting mentor of the meek into a lot of decks i don't necessarily think that Siona is a place for it either now when you're in green white you have access to all sorts of enchantress effects and when you're playing an enchantress deck like Siona wants to be playing you're going to be drawing a lot of cards. You have Satessan Champion, you have Seder Enchanter, you have Mesa and Viridian Enchantress, you have a plethora of card draw engines that you're going to be able to pull from in those types of decks. Now, Mentor of the Meek is showing up in 18% of Siona decks so far, and I think that number is too high. With all the other options you have to draw cards for free, I think paying one to conditionally draw cards is not what you wanna be doing in the deck. Now it's only an 18%, that's not a huge amount, but I do think that is still too many because these types of decks typically don't have too much of a problem drawing cards, even with one enchantress effect on the battlefield. I think it's just not reliable enough for you to want to be playing this in a Siona Captain of deck, even though on the surface it does look correct.
2: Yeah, I mean, having played Slezny Enchantress, yeah, I, I can't imagine wanting to devote a slot to to that card when I could just run, you know, assuming I don't have every Enchantress in the deck already, just run an aura that I could bounce to my hand if need be to generate more draw effects. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, and especially when you consider that the card Harmonized, which only costs one more mana, uh, mm-hmm. that only shows up in nine percent of the of Siona deck so far, um, and that just seems like a bit more of an efficient way to actually get that engine going. If you draw three cards for just one straight-up value, that's that's really nice. Um, yeah, Matt, I totally think that I'm with you. That seems like a, a clean a clean choice for sure well thank you sir you're very very welcome all right guys let's get back to those companions we've gone through the top four now we're on to the second half dana who is up next in our companion number five slot um up
2: next is yairuda doom of depths <laughs> yeah it's a it's a soft j like yagging or
1: i thought it was like telling a, someone uh, a yoke i thought it was a boston <laughs> accent like yuruda
2: oh that could oh. be too Okay. Oh my goodness, <laughs> you guys. Jiruda, Doom of Depths. Uh, six <laughs> mana, four, and a hybrid demir. two of those. For legendary creature, Demon Kraken, the companion clause here is your starting deck contains only cards with even converted mana costs. Um, is a 6-6, six, six, and when Jiruda enters the battlefield, each player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard, put a creature card with an even converted mana cost from among those cards, ...onto the battlefield under your control. And statistically speaking, um, Yoruda's showing up as a companion in 11 Atreus Oracle of Half-Truths decks... ...and 6 Muldrotha the Gravetide decks.
0: Not surprised to see those, I think. But Dana, I gotta let you know, you actually misread Gyruda. Um, not because of the mispronunciation, but Gyruda, the, the epithet for Gyruda is actually... ...Gyruda, the card that isn't stopped by Rest in Peace or Leyline of the Void somehow... Yes, yeah. It just magically works around those cards. All right, so 50 Garuda companion decks, Atrus and Moldrotha, Are these the commanders that you guys expected to show up for Garuda as a companion?
1: I was expecting both of the uh, Demir legends, the uh, the clone guy, Lazav, him. Lazav and Lazav? Yeah. Yes, both Lazavs, because A, they both fulfill Garuda's companion clause, but they both really like cards in the graveyard, especially creature cards. So... Garuda feeding into what both versions of Lazav want to do, that's really surprising to me because I figured that would be just be A and B default kind of going together there.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that. I do think Muldrotha makes a bit of sense to me um- Like, you do lose out a lot of stuff if you're not playing cards that have odd CMC, especially because Muldrotha really enjoys one-drop stuff, so you can cast multiple things in a turn. But at the same time, Garuda is the kind of thing that you can bring back multiple times. It has a nice—I don't know, Muldrotha's actually able to abuse the recast ability here, sort of in the same way that Karuga can be uh, abused by Rune a little bit. Like, it's nice to have that extra synergy with a card you'll always have access to. I see also here in the notes, one of you guys has written uh, clones upon clones upon clones upon clones. (laughs)
1: So that was me. So if you guys have been paying attention to Pioneer at all, uh, there was a Garuda deck roaming around that was just stock full of clone effects. And then all of a sudden it makes just an army of Garudas. So if you're playing a bunch of cards like Spark Double or Progenitor Mimic, all you need to do is just put a Garuda into play somehow and you mill over four, you grab a clone because you're playing 30 of them. So those (laughs) clones enter the battlefield as Garuda, which then mills you four, gets another clone, which then enters the battlefield as Garuda. You lather, rinse, repeat. And and I've seen screenshots of turn four and there's an army of six, six demon krakens on the battlefield because progenitor mimics, spark double, all of those. So if you are playing Moldroth of the Gravetide, it adds up that why you'd be playing all those different cards with Garuda because you can make an army very, very quickly with this.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if that's maybe the thing that folks are doing with Atrus too, uh, sort of a nice way to import that sort of strategy Mm -hmm. into Commander and playing a lot of clones, which could also, you know, duplicate an Atrus if you want to get a little bit of extra card advantage, even though one of the legendary creatures would die. But then you also have extra synergy that you can do with Garuda to then sort of mill things out, get a lot of extra advantage. That does seem like a fun list to get a lot of clones, a lot of evil twin effects, have a nice place for them. I just sort of looking at all of these companions, it strikes me that these are just good creature cards unto themselves, uh, which I just, I, I don't know. I wonder if that's one of the big reasons why they're devastating so many other formats right now because <laughs> they really just are good cards in addition to the fact that they're a free 8th card Um like these are really good as cards in the deck too. Uh, it's just really kind of kind of blowing my mind a little bit. I guess is uh, the the politest way that I can say it. Yeah. Well, no, that that's a good point. Gar- Garuda feels a bit like the the older Titan cycle we got
2: back in it was said you know twenty eleven or something. Where mm-hmm. yes, it's conceivable that you whiff on that ETB trigger, but it's a six six body. Like even if you miss, the downside is still a giant creature in play that's going to cause problems. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Although there is still a bit of a, a... It seems like there's definitely more of a restriction here in Commander than it is for some yeah. of the other formats. Um, and, you know, not playing the odd CMC, I do think that is pretty big restriction. Is it as big of a restriction though as our next companion, showing up in the number 6 spot? This is Obosh the Preypiercer. Uh, there are 38 decks for Obosh as a companion. This is the 5-mana Rakdos Hellion Horror. It is a 3-5. It says that your starting deck contains only cards with odd converted mana cost and land cards. And the ability here is really potent. If a source you control with an odd converted mana cost would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage to that permanent or player instead. 38 decks for Obosh and the top commander for it so far, only about nine to its name here. This is Kervek the Merciless, the guy who does damage to your opponents whenever they cast spells obosh is going to double that damage is this the commander that you expected would be in the top spot for obosh as a companion or did you expect a different cast here what are your guys thoughts uh, it makes sense based on how the the card works um i,
2: I i'm not I, I, the only reason i'm surprised is because kev rex a relatively old card you don't see very often i thought you might see one of the newer Rakdos commanders that deals damage there's a couple of different options what's who, who do you who do you did you recently build joey i forgot his name
0: yeah, Graven Predator Graven. Captain. I and on our stream, I actually we have been uh, playing around with some of the new stuff from Ikoria, yeah. um, and I did use uh, Obosh as a companion for my Graven deck. It required slicing like half the cards in the list. All of those two mana rocks had to then become three mana rocks. That kind of thing. I couldn't run Lightning Greaves. I had to run Fervor and other odd CMC haste effects. Um, so it was a pretty big restriction for sure. But man, getting a, a Dictator of the Twin Gods that only works on your stuff. Whenever you want it, that is a really big bonus. So I yeah, I actually would agree with you that like, you know, doubling Graven's power whenever you want by having just an extra thing there in the command zone. I kind of also expected Graven to show up here, not just caravac
1: Yeah, I think one of them actually that surprises me that isn't higher up there is is Judith. Uh, the, the Rakdos legend that pings uh, mm-hmm. any target whenever a creature dies, you have stuff like Goblin Bombardment and Judith and all those little effects where you, I mean, you're playing red-black. You're probably sacrificing a lot of creatures anyways. So double, I don't think you'd be able to use the Bombardment if you are running Obosh, though. True, yeah. But any of those types of effects or just pingers in general, uh, right. being able to just kind of mow down everything and double all that damage, that adds up pretty quickly. So if you're doubling all of those, it's... Seems like a fairly powerful deck just brainstorming it, but one of the biggest things with a lot of these companions too that I think is kind of interesting is we're looking at all of these companions through the lens of decks that we already have and, and existing decks. Mm-hmm. I think companions are going to be a little bit easier to, to stick into decks when you have them in mind from the start and you're you're brewing a fresh deck versus trying to, to adjust an existing deck. It's kind of like the power level conversations that a lot of people have where it's easier to build a deck with a certain power level in mind than it is to make a deck and then try to power it down or power it up a little bit. If you have the companion clause in mind, if you have Obosh or any of these other companions, if you have that clause in mind, it's probably going to be much, much easier to build around that because you're already excluding all the cards. So, you know, there's no emotional attachment to cards that, uh, you know, you might want to be playing or keep playing, I should say. But if you're starting from, you know, from scratch, that goes away. So I think it's going to be easier moving forward with people starting new decks around these. Like Dana, you mentioned with Umori. You Mm -hmm. see a lot of people talking about this and and wanting to build a new deck with Umori. I think that's going to be the case for a lot of companions.
0: That's a really great observation. I really, really dig that because personally, I had actually expected Obosh to show up way higher than just the number six spot. But I think that that's probably a big reason why it might be showing up a little bit lower. It requires a pretty big overhaul to pre-existing decks, but it does offer something different for the decks going forward from this point. So maybe the numbers could change on this. I would like to see the numbers change on this. I think this is one of the cooler companions personally, even though it does require a big deck building cost. But yeah, Matt, I love that observation, uh, the way that it affects pre-existing decks versus new ones. Going forward, that's a really beautiful observation. Totally love it.
2: Uh, one thing that's going to hurt Obash too, I think, is you are in black where you have access to, you know, a gazillion different tutor options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some other colors, if you're building around your commander or, excuse me, around the companion, I'm Joey, you rubbed off of me. I'm now saying companion <laughs> for commander. Um, it's so hard. Still, <laughs> sorry, still. Like, Having it there sitting off the side where you can get it whenever is pretty important. I think it's less important in black where you have a tutor. And if you want to get that effect at will, you have the option in those colors to run multiple cards that let you at will dig through your deck and go find it. So I think this one is a little bit less valuable in the zone than maybe some other ones are where they're less
0: uh, easy to just get at will. Yeah, no, that's also a really great observation. And frankly, at the end of the day, if you run Obosh in a deck as opposed to in your companion zone, it's still a really powerful yeah. card. It's really good on yeah. its own. It says a 3-5, but it actually hits like a 6-5. And it makes your Voltron commander suddenly have double strike out of nowhere without actual, like, that's that's really, really powerful mm-hmm. for sure. All right, let's move on to our next one, second to last.
1: This is Luris. How many, what's the data going on here, Matt? So Lurse the Dream Den is the Orzov Companion where the companion clauses each permanent in your starting deck has converted mana cost two or less, which is pretty narrow considering you have to play commanders that cost two or less into this deck. Uh, there's 15 decks total using Lurse as a companion. And so far it's 11 Eile decks and four Carl, or Karlov, Uncle Carl, uh, of the Ghost Council. So not that many at all.
0: Yeah, and the reward on Lurrus is pretty interesting. I mean, it's a 3-2 with lifelink, but also the ability to, on each of your turns, cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. That is the kind of thing that... I don't know, back on our Rec Room episode when we were talking about this, I think I'd place this one a little bit higher on the list because I was being subconsciously affected by how much this one is affecting other formats like Vintage or Legacy, which really shouldn't be a metric at all that we use for Commander. Stuff that's really good in the way old formats doesn't tend to have as much of the impact here in Commander because we love our nine drops. Um, But, like, this one has been really popular in a lot of other formats, but it's showing up second to last here, I think definitely because of that restriction that like that, that is a very severe restriction, especially just on the commander front. Eilie shows up with 11 of those decks. A lot of lifelinky stuff that we're seeing on here. I don't know. like I guess I th- this is a, a really obvious correction. Like, oh yeah, of course this one isn't going to be very popular. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think on this one then?
2: Well, I feel like definitely if there was a caveat in that companion clause that said each permanent card in your starting deck aside from your commander has to have incur a mm-hmm. mana cost two or less, yeah. therefore allowing a whole different spread of commanders you could run. This would be in a lot more decks. I think, I think that is the primary driver of the numbers here is the fact that there's just so few decks. And I think if there was more, you'd definitely see more play. I think you can get around that CMC restriction much easier than you can just dealing with the reality that there's two options for your commander.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a power level concern with Luris yeah. at all because that affects. And Dana, like you said in our, our our rec room episode, it's going to do some crazy things to sixty card formats. It already has. If you've mm-hmm. seen any Legacy results lately, um, you'll see Luris all over the place. And that's saying a yeah. lot that it's it's getting played in Legacy, but in Commander, the fact that there's you know, only two eligible commanders for it to fall under. And then you have to follow through with the rest of the deck building constriction for that. Right. It's not really surprising because then basically Luris is only eligible in a subsection of a subsection mm-hmm. of all decks. And, and that's pretty narrow.
0: Yeah, I think it is kind of interesting. Like, I constantly misread Lurus because it does only apply to your permanents and not to your spells like your sorceries Mm -hmm. or your instants or something like that. But that is still a very hefty restriction just on the commander front. That really restricts its numbers for sure. Um, But it doesn't restrict it enough
1: to be dead last. We've got one more companion here. Matt, who's that? Who's in dead last place? So Zerda, the Dawnbreaker, the Boros companion is in last place. Uh, The companion clauses each permanent card in your starting deck has an activated ability. And then once Zerda Zerda is in play. Uh, uh, Abilities you activate that aren't mana abilities cost two mana less to activate. This effect can't reduce the mana that is uh, in that cost to less than one mana. So this has all sorts of combo potential in Basalt Monolith and all those different pay mana to untap effects. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy, uh, but only 11 decks total that are using Zerda as the companion, which is kind of an interesting point. I thought it would be a little bit higher.
0: Yeah, I think I actually, like, I don't know. When we uh, were ordering these, I had actually put Zirta last, but mostly because I wanted to talk about it as a commander as opposed to as a companion. Um, But we actually have so little data on Zirta so far that there aren't even any top commanders showing up on its companion page. Um, Looking through the cards that are paired with Zirta most often, we do see some cards uh, like... Faberow Elder, for example, and Birds of Paradise, which I think can lead us to conclude that folks are using Zirda with Zakama to reduce the cost of Zakama's activated abilities. We also see a lot of artifacts. You mentioned the monolith. There's also stuff like Isochron Scepter and a lot of blue and black cards, uh, such as tutors or counterspells, um, dramatic reversal, things like that. So that I think can also uh, allow us to conclude that Brea is also another commander that's using Zirda as a companion. Um, It is really, really low, though. I I don't know. I think that this is uh, sort of an important time to compare the decks here um, as a companion to how it compares as a commander. Because when we start looking at these as commanders instead of as companions, the script kind of flips. Zirda is actually in the number one spot. It has 94 decks to its name as a commander instead of as a companion. And looking at the bottom of the list we see Kahira with only one deck as a commander so they sort of have the inverse effects uh when you start looking there there's a sort of an inverse relationship to them as companions versus as commanders which i think is to be expected but it's still kind of rewarding to see well it, what's interesting too the
2: the um Kahira one I can only assume that somebody who was in a coma when Arabo came out, So <laughs> I don't know why that would be, a, I mean, unless you're like, obviously, there's people that do things for flavor reasons, or maybe they like the art or whatever, but like, it's just going to be a worse commander than a Rabo every single time. Well,
0: I think it would be for other types of decks. Like if you want to do a beast tribal for one of the other. Sure, decks. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, that kind of deal. Um, I don't know. I also kind of want to do my homework a little bit and see whether the predictions that we had on that Rec Room episode were right in terms of the popularity order for companions. Um, and I think generally on the extremes, like the bookends were sort of correct. We did have Zirda in the final slot and that ended up being true. Um, and we had Gigantha and Kahira as our number one and number two. And those were actually flipped It was Kahira at number one and then Gigantha as number two. Um, So those we got right. But everything else in the middle was really, really scrambled. You know, Karuga ended up being number three and we had expected that it might be number four. I had put that Oba should be the number three companion. And that's like, you know, third from the bottom. So, you know, everything in the middle is kind of scrambled. But on the extremes, we're definitely seeing the the same stuff there. Um, The rest is just a, a little bit scrambly, I think. Yeah. And, and
2: again, we have a fairly limited data set at this point, too. So like when right. we're talking about what, we're talking about a difference of, you know, three or four decks sometimes. <laughs> so it's a, it's a pretty
0: small um, differential so far, at least. Yeah. So that just makes me want to ask, then, what do you guys expect from these going forward as we collect more data? Do you expect these numbers to remain the same? Do you think that there will be shifts, um, some dramatic shakeups in terms of companions? Um, I don't know. What do you expect from these going forward? How do you think the data will shape up from this point forward? I, I think Matt's right about people building new decks with them
2: more often than they are retrofitting decks. I think everyone's kind of Mm -hmm. done their retrofitting thing probably already. And then maybe we'll see that for the next few weeks. But I think from that point, moving forward, it's going to far people building brand new decks either with them as companions or as the commander so I think we've kind of seen the retrofitting phase probably already finished just because you have the deck there it's a relatively easy thing to just make those changes Um, so the fact that we're looking at people probably building new decks with these as companions is going to be interesting to see how much that shakes up the numbers because that's a much different thing like you said building it from the ground up as a companion than it is trying to change something you already have Finish maybe like the way it currently is
1: well and i think it's also should be pointed out that most people don't have their hands on the physical cards yet yeah it's still fairly early right um i know there's been a lot of shipping issues with the set so once people start actually getting their hands on the cards that's when i think most of the the numbers are going to take off so we've kind of seen a good predictor of what's going to be popular uh, obviously, Kahir is going to be probably the most popular just because it has a lot of casual appeal. Uh, but across the board, it'll be interesting to see what kind of flushes out in those middle areas, and if Zerda actually takes off, if Luris finally gets pushed down. Because I, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around Zerda being in last place when there is so much potential to do some crazy things, whereas Luris is so narrow, like we talked about. So once the cards are actually out in the hands of players and people start putting those lists on, onto, you know, any website that we can get the information from, that's when I'll be more interested to see what the data looks like.
2: Well, that's a, that's a good point because I think it's really easy to know exactly what Kahira is doing. Like there's Mm -hmm. nothing complicated in that card when you put it in your cat deck um, about how it's going to impact your game. And it's just a free anthem you have access to once in a while that gives your stuff vigilance even if you don't have that card in hand, you know exactly what it's going to do for your deck and it's not going to be a surprise once you get it in. Yeah. Whereas you might find yourself you know, really pleasantly surprised about how good Lurus plays or someone else's Lurus plays and it's going to change what you want to do to your deck to play it once you actually see it in action. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point. I think there's, there's some of these down at the bottom that
0: are impactful in a way that you just need to see it to understand it. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense to me, and also I do kind of think that the retrofitting uh, argument that you guys have sort of coalesced on there, um, I think that will affect the uh, predictions that I'd made going forward. I still kind of personally expect that Gigantha might eclipse Arabo because I think it is actually really easy Kahira, to make you five, mean? five Not Arabo. Decks. Yeah, see, I see. Man, I've been mixing up so you're many not even, You're not just so getting the sorry.
1: word; it's not just commander versus companion. It's just getting the com, the, the commander proper out. itself.
0: Yeah. Oh man, I over. am sorry. I am stumbling all over my words. Yes, I expect that Gigantha, uh will be an easy companion to include and other five-color decks going forward, um, and that that might eventually eclipse Kahira plus Arabo um, in in the future, because that is sort of a a really big upfront surge, but it's the kind of thing that doesn't necessarily have as much staying power as the five-color deck popularity might have. Um, Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see how that shapes up going forward, for sure. All right, so here's one final question for you guys. I know that we've made a couple of small modifications. I tried out Obosh with Graven. Um, Dana, you've put the... Kahira into the Arabo deck that your son plays. I'm trying not to mix up those cards (laughs) uh, really hard. Um, Are there any other companions that you would be personally interested in trying out for yourselves, though? Do you think that this is a deck building exercise that is worth it to you or that it's really too much of a task? What are your final thoughts on companions um, in Commander?
2: Um, You know, I like them. The more we've sat on them and the more I thought about I didn't like them at first, like when they were first spoiled. I thought it felt clunky. As the weeks have gone on, I've Kind of came around a, a little more and more in Companion as it's gotten more horrifying in every other format for some reason. <laughs> I, I, I've turned the corner a little bit in Commander. Um, I have no plans in, to add anything specifically, but I do find them all to be kind of interesting and it's, it's the situation where I think any deck I build forward, I'm at least going to give them a look and see, okay, is this a reasonable inclusion that I can add to my deck in a way that makes sense, that isn't going to handicap me too much? So I think they're kind of cool, and I'm I'm glad to see them in Commander, at
0: the very least. <laughs> yeah, it does sort of feel like they were balanced for our format. Yes. Maybe not so much for some of the others, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I've been playing a lot of Arena lately, and, and I've been playing the uh, the Obosh Sacrifice deck. And it's it's a lot of fun, but I don't know if overall they're necessarily healthy. So that'll be interesting to see how they, they pan on 60-card formats. For Commander, though, it, it kind of goes back to the old saying of, you know, restrictions breed creativity. And and this is just another way to put restrictions on your decks and, and mm-hmm. make sure they're still doing well. And in, in that aspect, I still do like them. I just, just, you know, keeping in mind is the payoff worth that deck building restriction, like you guys have, have pointed out a couple of times. Uh, I think it just kind of depends on the player and that's, it's fun. It's, it's a fun thing to do um, to add to your deck building experience.
0: Yeah, for me, I think the lesson that I want to take away from them is how it really does change a deck, at least in terms of the ones that you retrofit. Like I said, I tried out Obash, which really required slicing a lot of the stuff from my Graven list. And one of the strengths of Graven for me was how fast he is. I have a lot of two mana mana rocks um, that are able to make him just pump out, start swinging, and just commander damage people right from the get-go. And when you're not able to play as many, like, such a high density of those very quick mana rocks, it really slowed the deck down, but having an additional companion there that could come out and start doubling damage and that hits really powerfully all on its own provided the deck with a different degree of consistency even though it was slower and that's a really interesting thing to observe you know actually sort of thinking back on it now looking at Obash as a companion for a Karavac deck makes a lot of sense too because there's a great relationship happening there between Mm. a card to cast on the 5 slot and a card to cast at the number 7 slot because Karavak's very very expensive to actually play so having something else out there that can be a guaranteed play before Karavak even enters the battlefield can also be really useful so not just observing the relationship between companions that synergize nicely with the deck strategy but also just the relationship with your commander on the mana curve can also be a really interesting thing to see to provide your deck with extra consistency if it might be lacking in other areas and seeing whether that consistency is worth the deck building sacrifice as well
1: yep i agree
0: all right. Well, with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. Guys, this was a whole bunch of fun. These companions are doing a whole bunch of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how that data shapes up going forward. I'd like to thank you guys so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all?
1: Matt? So you can find me on the Twitter at mathemus 55 and you can find the podcast Twitch account at EDH Reccast.
2: And Dana? You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana
0: Roach, and you can hear me a couple times a week on my other show, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast at EDH Recast on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDH Rec's data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think we ought to know about, you can contact us at edhreckcast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post production work on the podcast, and of course to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com, who provide the up to date card price information right there on EDHRec. If you want to pick up any of the cards that we've talked about, you can click on the link uh right there on the cards on EDH rec. And if you buy from Card Kingdom, you can also visit cardkingdom.com slash EDHRec to get those awesome cards and help support the show. Listeners, we would really love to know what you think of companions. Are there any decks that you're going to be building with these companions? Do you think that they're better as companions or as commanders? We would love to know your thoughts. And until next week, we'll be back at you with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.